Isn't it an exciting time to be here at TGP? Uh, I've been here for a few years, and uh, I can tell you that I don't think I can remember a more exciting time to be part of this church. Um, I think that not only is God doing some great things, but he's going to do greater things. And it's just going to be fun to be part of that and to uh, experience those things. Well, <clears throat> today we are continuing in the Psalms. And uh, uh, as you heard Pastor Rob say, Psalm 8 and if you do have your journals with you, I encourage you today, we're going we're gonna to see some things. I think uh, some of you may learn some things about God himself, about his character, uh, things that are really deeply in this psalm. And um, we'll also see some things about ourselves as uh, God's, uh, the apex of God's creation, man, and uh, a, a wonderful combination, and all in nine verses. It's amazing uh, what the Word of God can contain in uh, just these uh, few verses. So I'd like for us to read this psalm together, uh, meaning I'm going to read and you follow along in your uh, Bibles. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? and the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. A wonderful psalm. And uh, we're going to look at the psalm today in three different sections. Uh, first, the majesty and dominion uh, and glory of God in verses 1 through 4, and then we see that repeated again in verse 9. The glory, honor, and dominion of man in verses 5 and 6. And then finally, man's dominion over all creation in verses 7 through 8. So first, the majesty, dominion, and glory of God and so much of that is packed into uh, this first verse. In fact, we're going to take down this first verse and, into a few parts so that I, I think some of what is here will come alive to us. The first is this phrase, O Lord, our Lord. Note that the first use of Lord is all in caps. 
And the second is not. Now that is as historically true of Bible translation. Perhaps you know this, perhaps you don't. If you don't, that's the reason I'm saying it. Is that when we see the word Lord in caps, it's referring to Yahweh. It's referring to Jehovah. It will always refer to Jehovah. The eternal God, the God who revealed himself to Moses as the great I am, is the God that is being addressed here. So the God to whom David is writing this song for all of Israel to sing is the Lord God. It is the God who is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is Jehovah God. And then he says, our Lord. So, O Lord, our Lord. Now this Lord is master. This is the use of the word for God who is over me. And it is an acknowledgement for each of us as we read this psalm that the Lord God is my personal Lord. That is, all that I am, all that I have, all that God has blessed me to be and might continue, uh, Lord willing, to, to continue that blessing, whatever that might be, all of that is resting under God's lordship. So, O oh Lord, our Lord, and I love this, this personal pronoun in the plural here, our. Just three little letters. But what it does is it says, this is my Lord, but not just mine. It is our Lord. All of you who are here today or listening to my voice or beyond that, it, it is true of you if this Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, has become your Lord. So we then are God's people. And that's really what David is saying here. This is a psalm that is, is addressing the Lord God on behalf of his people. O Lord, our Lord. And then he goes on to say some things about him. So he says in, in line two, how majestic is your name in all the earth? So that word majestic, or what's translated here is, is majestic in my translation, you may have the word excellent in your translation. You may have uh, even the, the word, or if you don't, the thoughts would be there of mighty, magnificent, glorious. That's how this word could also be translated. So it's, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic. And I don't think it's a mistake that David uses the word, and I like the translation majestic here, for this reason, that he is about to get into a topic that is so important for us as God's people to understand, and that is that God has made everything that is, but he has also made man special and unique. 
And that majesty is what we are reminded of in this particular psalm. The how of one's name is how we're known by others. So what David is saying is, how majestic is your name? How, how great is your name in the earth? And it is, it is God's reputation. <clears throat> you know as well as, as I do that there are people who know you the older you get, the longer you've been around, especially if you've been around in, in pretty much one place, there are many people who know you and you have a reputation based on that knowledge of you. And the realm of that knowledge is really the realm of whatever it is that's your reputation. Here, David is reminding us that God's majestic, glorious reputation is known throughout all the earth. It's not limited to Israel. It's not limited to a small place in the Middle East. It is true for everyone throughout the entire earth. I love Psalm 91, verses 1 through the first part of Verse 4, where, again, this theme, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day by day pours out speech and night by night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. You know, there's language that everyone can understand that is not verbal. You don't have to know a particular language in order to point to things that you can see commonly. And what the psalmist is saying here is, is that and David is reminding us of, is that the glory of God is all around us. The glory of God is in the day that we are living in today. And uh, Josh mentioned to us this morning as we began our, our worship time that it was a beautiful day and how much he was enjoying that day. I'm sure that you have too. I know I did. Um, and there's more in that glory. I used to have a professor at Houghton College who uh, was an English professor, a single lady who walked um, to classes with her head down, always with her head down. And it was only one day in class with her that I understood why. She was looking for the little things that were along her path that she could uh, use in her mind to glorify God. Isn't that interesting? Um, so we often miss those little things that are there, but all to the glory of God. Well, let's look at lines three. Uh, you have set your glory above the heavens uh, is the third line that we see in, in this particular uh, so, so you have set your glory 
God is in charge of his glory. Don't ever forget it. God is in charge of his glory. He is also very jealous for his glory. Uh, there are several passages of Scripture that remind us of this. Exodus 20 and verse 5 tells us that one of the names of God is jealous, whose a jealous of jealousy for his name is mentioned in more than just one place. Ezekiel 39 and verse 25. He's jealous for his people. He is jealous for Zion. He is jealous for his land. And he is jealous for worship. Now, in the English language, uh, which is special to me, not because I studied it, but because I appreciate it, um, and in the English language, there's often confusion between the words jealous and envy. Jealousy is really a feeling or a showing that uh, there is, is clearly a protective and vigilance about one's possessions and what one truly owns, one has rights to. That's the Oxford English Dictionary. Envy, on the other hand, is a feeling of discontentment and sometimes resentfulness that is aroused by someone else's possessions that we admire or might like to have. Very, two very, very different words. It's strange to me how they get so confused in usage and understanding, but it's true. God has a right to be jealous for his glory. Because he alone is glorious. There is no other entity in all of creation that is glorious, truly glorious, but God. You may recall Dr. Miller saying he purposefully did not use the word awesome, but, re, but reserved it for his reference to God. Because only God could truly be awesome. Well, I think that's it's a, a, a wonderful thing to do. It is an acknowledgement that God alone is worthy of glory. He alone is uh, worthy of the title majestic. He alone is majestic. And so when we um, think about God, it's important for us to think about him in those terms. The second thing that's important here in this little phrase is that God sets his glory. God is in charge of his glory, and so he sets his glory. David is saying that in this case, he sets his glory um, in a place that is referred to here as the heavens. His glory is above the heavens, in fact. It's interesting why he uses the word heavens instead of heaven. There is not just, there was not, for the Hebrew, just one place that was called heaven. There were actually three realms that the Hebrews understood as the heavens. The first realm was the area or the space around us, the air we breathe, 
the birds that fly in that space. And that is occupied now by uh, airplanes and jets and all other things. But uh, that same realm, the second realm, is uh, uh, the realm of the sun and the moon and the planets, the stars and the galaxies. Uh, I think we have a wonderful thing that has come about as a result of, of human technology and the new James Webb space satellite. I hope some of you have been watching and observing the pictures that are coming back to us uh, from that. Just totally amazing. Uh, we should have one here, uh, maybe just in a minute for you to, to see. But it, it tells us that, that man is doing his best when he is, in fact, creating and developing things like this that cause us to give greater glory to God uh, because, who, because of who and what he has done. So it is the realm then, the second realm, in which the sun and the moon and the planets uh, exist, but it's the third realm in which the heavenly hosts and God himself dwells. Now, this particular uh, reference to the, uh, to the heavens and God setting his glory in the heavens is, uh, is indeed a significant uh, thing for us as we think about who it is that God is in relation to us and in relation uh, to the creation. In verse 2, he says, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. It's out of the mouths of babies and infants. This is not mankind, but the offspring of mankind. And what he later refers to as the son of man, the offspring of man. It is out of uh, the mouths of babies and infants that God has established strength. Now, to understand this, we need to understand that this is not physical strength or might. Now, this isn't one uh, powerful football team or defensive line coming up against another powerful offensive line and clashing on Sunday afternoon. Uh, for as many opportunities as, as uh, we might enjoy. Uh, it's not that kind of strength. It's not the strength of horses. It's not the strength of, of oxen. It's spiritual strength. Over 250 times the word translated strength here appears in the Old Testament. More than half of those times it refers to spiritual strength and not physical strength. And when you think about that, you kind of say to yourself, oh, I get it. God's spiritual strength, then, is not a physical force in this particular uh, instance, but it is what God uses to silence his enemies and his foes. Um, Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, or chapter 21, I'm sorry, beginning with verse 12 and uh, reading through verse 16. 
And you get in this verse what this passage of Scripture, what this verse of Scripture in the psalm means. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The setting of this is Palm Sunday, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. Skip down to verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never heard out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? These were God's enemies who were being silenced by the mouths of babes and infants due to God's strength, God's spiritual strength, which is at work and can be at work oftentimes in our lives more than we know because we're trying to do things in our own strength, physical strength, might, intellectual power. God wants to show himself to be powerful in his strength, spiritual strength. Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4. When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man? that you care for him. God's work in creation is not only majestic and glorious, it is also great and truly awesome. He sets the moon and the stars in place, look, with his fingers, the ease with which he creates is not something that's difficult for God. He does it with his fingers. Isn't that an interesting uh, statement? He does it effortlessly. He does it naturally. This becomes the context for verse 4, which follows, because in all of this, David is giving us a picture, verses 1 through 3, of this majestic, glorious God who is over all things, who chooses to set his glory above the heavens, above these three realms, because that's what he can do. And he's, he's also emphasizing for us, as we get to this next verse, the absurdity of the statement that Man is something that is made in his likeness. Let's look at, at uh, verse, verse 4 here. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? 
David's not using the word absurd, but he's pointing to us how absurd the idea is that man, and I don't know about you, but I often have difficulty getting myself out of bed in the morning, let alone doing the things that I am made in the image of one who is capable and able of doing. God is the one that we are to look to as having dominion over all things. But as we'll see in a minute, he has given that dominion to us here of his creation. So uh, let's look at why David says this. He, he knows this because he knows the word. He knows the scriptures and this goes back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them, this man isn't just a gender statement, ladies. This man is mankind. It refers to men and women. It refers to how God has created mankind. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And I love this. And God blessed them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. Now, if this were me writing this in our time, I'd probably say something at this point like, are you kidding me, Lord? <laughs> are you kidding me? You made me? You made you in that way? So let's look at the glory, honor, and dominion then of man as we see it in verses 5 through 6. Yet, wonderful little word, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. So you have given to him dominion over all things. And now... Um, we see what it is that, that David is saying. Him, man, is this one who is, has been made in the image of God. Dominion means to rule or have authority over, to make someone Lord. See, God doesn't give away his rights to dominion of all of creation, but what he does do is make all of us lords of that creation. Amazing. Truly amazing. But that's, that's the idea here. He says he has given to us dominion uh, over his creation and, uh, and made us in this way. Yet you have put all things under his feet Genesis 1.26, let them have dominion over all the earth, trees, plants, minerals, elements, everything that is part of God's creation. 
uh, he has placed mankind over. So let's look at verses 7 and 8. Man's dominion then over all creation. Not because he's taking anything away from God, but because God has given man lordship over creation. Verses 7 and 8. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. These verses uh, develop out what is really there in verse 6. And we don't have time today, and it's really not the, the theme of this sermon to talk about Hebrew poetry and how it's structured. But uh, it is structured in such a way that these statements about domestic animals, about wild animals, about fish that are in the sea, about all the other things besides fish that are in the sea that run through the paths of the sea, all of that plus more is what God has created. So let's look at verse 9 in conclusion because David circles back around. He doesn't want us to get too caught up in this notion of our lordship and responsibility, our authority, our dominion over creation. And he reminds us again, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what's the main message of the sermon today? The message, I believe, really to us is that this psalm speaks wisdom and understanding into many of the cultural issues that we face today. Some have become battlegrounds, literally, and are becoming more like battlegrounds for what is good and what is just and what is true. I'm going to mention three of them here that I think this psalm speaks to. The sanctity of human life, climate change, and gender identity. You might say, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, nope, all of those things, folks, come back to what this psalm tells us and teaches us. And this psalm teaches us these things that the, the understanding or, or what we need to understand what it means to be human, the core of it, the essence of it, is right here in this psalm. To know why we exist and to know the who and the what that gives us meaning and identity. I'm going to read this last part to us as I close. But Psalm 8 clearly speaks light into the darkness of our day. It leaves no doubt that all human life has a divine origin and that we are on earth's sphere to declare his authority and to carry out his divine plans for the good of all creation. The Psalm also makes it clear that man is God's solution to the damage being done to earth's atmosphere, not the cause. And the sins of man's neglect, his selfishness, and his greed 
that are the cause are all sins that Jesus has died to redeem. And finally, this psalm is consistent with everything Scripture has to say about every man, woman, and child that is living now, that has ever lived, or that ever will live in the future and being made in the image of God. It is God's image and identity that we are to reflect, magnifying him through the gender we were assigned at birth, not the gender we think we prefer or wish to choose. I'd encourage each of us to read this psalm often and to make it a reason to praise God. If you're a parent, read it to your children. If you're a grandparent, read it to your grandchildren. Memorize it. Include it in your reasons to give God thanks for honoring us as his co-regents here on earth and glorifying him by taking care of his creation. 